The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Luke 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Our sermon today is entitled... John 10, verse 22, the Feast of Dedication. I've got more than just John 10, 22 to read you, though. I'm going to start with Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25. There it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And then from John 10, verses 22 through 30, we read this. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Admittedly, I have heavily plagiarized my Leviticus 23 sermon, which detailed the Feast of Acclamation for this sermon. I made an incorrect statement in that sermon, which always bugged me, but I was able to remove it from the sermon on YouTube and from the website and all that, but it still bugged me that I did that. Whenever I tell someone about that error I made, the normal response is, that's not a big deal, but to me it is. Precision with the word is important. Therefore, to retell the details of the feast without that blunder is a great relief to me. There are also new details included in this sermon. But even if there weren't, reviewing all that was previously said is a wonderful reminder of the marvel of what God has done in Christ for us. Our text verse comes from John chapter 1, it's verses 9 and 10. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. The most important question a person can ever be asked is, do you know Jesus? In this case, the question is not, have you heard of Jesus, or do you know about Jesus? Rather, it is, do you know him for who he is and believe that what is known is true, accepting by faith that he is the Savior of the world? John explains that in John 1, verses 11 through 13. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who is this child of Christmas that we celebrate each year at this time? What does the Bible have to say about his coming, his work, and how they pertain to us? The marvel of what God has done is clearly and precisely laid out by God, and yet, it requires much study and careful analysis to fully appreciate the unfolding of the story. We will see a part of that in today's sermon. I pray that it will bless you even if you have heard some of these details before. The Christmas story never gets old because it is the story of the love of God in Christ. Such great things are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again and may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a few thoughts for you today. The first is the feasts of the Lord. Leviticus 23 details the eight feasts of the Lord. In Leviticus 23 verse 2, these feasts are called Moedeh, the plural of Moed, signifying an appointed time, place, or meeting. Specifically, they are called Moedeh Yehovah, or feasts Yehovah. Then the Lord again specifically says, Elehem Moedai, these, they, my feasts. Thus, these are not feasts of Israel, nor Jewish feasts. They are feasts of the Lord. That's an important point because many people call them the feasts of Israel or the feasts, the Jewish feasts. And when they do that, they have immediately taken a wrong turn and they start inserting things that do not belong in Scripture. It is true that these were proclaimed to Israel and observed by the people, but the subject of the feasts is the Lord. For a detailed analysis of each of the feasts to the Leviticus 23 sermons by superior word, you are commended. It is an offer now extended. 
If by you the offer is attended as recommended, you will find them splendid. If you choose not to follow this path, they will remain unapprehended or maybe incorrectly comprehended. Set yourselves, therefore, to do as rightly intended, and your time will have been well expended. And with that, my urging on this matter has ended, but perhaps it should be rescinded. As these are the feasts of the Lord, they are given in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah, the Lord God incarnate. Everything about them will give us insights into his work or how that work is lived out in his people. Of these eight feasts, the first is a weekly feast, the Sabbath. Its observance is detailed in Leviticus 23, verse 2. The Sabbath was first given as a sign to Israel in Exodus 16. It was given to no other people on earth, and it was given to anticipate greater truths to be found in Christ Jesus. As it is designated as a feast of the Lord, it will be realized and fulfilled in the coming of Christ Jesus. The next seven feasts are annual feasts. They are, first, the Passover. It is mandated in Leviticus 23, verse 3. However, the details of Passover observance are given great attention elsewhere in the books of Moses, beginning with the record of the Passover from Egypt, starting in Exodus 12. Immediately following the Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is instructed in Leviticus 23, verses 6 through 8. Its rites and rituals are detailed elsewhere as well. That is followed by the Feast of First Fruits, which is directed in Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14. The next is the Feast of Weeks. It is commanded in Leviticus 23, 15 through 22. This feast is also called the Feast of Harvest in Exodus 23. That is followed by the Feast of Acclamation. As we saw in the opening, it is detailed in Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25. Quite often, it is incorrectly called Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets. Rosh Hashanah signifies the beginning of the year. That is based on the original calendar used in Scripture. It is also the regal calendar, meaning that of the kings of Israel, and the modern calendar used by Israel. The name Feast of Trumpets is given because it was common for people to blow the trumpets on this day of the year in fulfillment of the words given in Leviticus 23. However, the words read Zikaron Teruah, meaning memorial acclamation. In scripture, the word teruah includes the blowing of trumpets at times, but it also signifies a shout of joy, a shout of alarm, and so on. In other words, it is a loud acclamation. For example, from Psalm 27, verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts to Ruah of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So it's not just exclusively trumpets. It's any loud acclamation. Thus, the Feast of Acclamation more appropriately describes this feast. That is then followed by the Day of Atonement, as specified in Leviticus 23, 26 through 32. Extremely detailed instruction for the Day of Atonement is also found in Leviticus 16. Finally, the eighth feast and the last annual feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. That is stipulated in Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 43. It is also called the Feast of Ingathering in Exodus 23, 16. Of these eight feasts, an additional word is used to describe three of them, Chag. It is a festival coming from the verb Chagag, meaning to make a pilgrim feast. 
Specifically, however, it means to move in a circle, as if marching in a sacred procession. Further implied in the word is to be giddy and to dance, whirling in joy. These three feasts typologically anticipate the work of the Lord, but being pilgrim feasts, they anticipate the believer's life in the Lord. This is why people were specifically mandated to attend these three pilgrim feasts each year. Their participation in them was an anticipation of our participation in the full, final, finished, and forever work of Christ. Each of them is shown to be completed in the work of Jesus as described by the apostles in the New Testament. Paul specifically gives details on the fulfillment of each of these feasts. 1. Colossians 2, 16 and 17, the Sabbath. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. It is also noted in Hebrews 4, verse 3, where it specifically explains the typology of the Sabbath, saying, For we who have believed do enter that rest. We are in our Sabbath rest. Feast fulfilled, we are not required to observe a Sabbath. 2, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, the Passover. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Feast fulfilled, we are not required to observe the Passover. 3, This is a pilgrim feast. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8, unleavened bread. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Feast fulfilled in us because of Jesus Christ. 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, first fruits. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 5. Another pilgrim feast. Ephesians 1, 13 and elsewhere. Pentecost. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Weeks, or Pentecost, is literally shown to be fulfilled in Romans 16, verse 5, and 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. First from Romans, greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia to Christ. 1 Corinthians 16, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia. The presentation of the two loaves with leaven in Leviticus 23, verse 17, provides a typological example of what those verses are speaking of. One a Jew, one a Gentile. There is one gospel message that is realized in the saving of all people, feast fulfilled in us because of the work of Christ. 6. 1 Corinthians 15.47, the day of acclamation. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. That will be explained more later, feast fulfilled. 7. Romans 3.24 and 25, the day of atonement. It says in Romans 3, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, meaning an atonement. In the Greek, it is hilasterion, the same word used in the Old Testament for the propitiatory, by his blood, feast fulfilled. Eight, the final feast and the final pilgrim feast, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, 
tabernacles. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you want to know more about those, go back and watch the sermons from Leviticus 23. The particular feast noted as the Day of Acclamation is held in the September-October time frame. So one might question why that is especially highlighted. What can we derive from a feast that occurs in the fall that could help us appreciate what we have come to celebrate in the dead of winter concerning the day we call Christmas? With the snow piled up outside the doors of our church right now, we can sit warmly inside and discover for the first time or remind ourselves again of the wonderful details outlined in scripture that lead us to the celebration of this wonderful day. Shout to the Lord, shout with acclamation. It is he who is our king and he who rules over us. Shout to the Lord, you holy nation. Shout to the king, our Lord Jesus. Let the sound be loud, shout joyfully. Let the land be filled with noise to herald the king. Don't sit and be silent. Don't act so coyfully. Get up, people. Raise your voices and sing. It is he who has created and he who has redeemed us. It is he who sits as king upon the throne of heaven. It is he who rules, even our king Jesus. So shout aloud at the beginning of month number seven. Our second thought today is the Feast of Acclamation. Earlier, I noted that the Feast of Acclamation was fulfilled in Paul's words of 1 Corinthians 15:47. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Of all of the fulfilled feasts of the Lord, it is the only one that requires a bit of speculation to demonstrate its fulfillment. However, it is sufficiently evident from Scripture that it is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. It was to be held on the first day of the seventh month, according to Leviticus 23. There are two distinct calendars in the Bible. The first is the creation calendar. The second is the redemption calendar. This same pattern of creation and redemption is seen all the way throughout the Bible. God creates and then he redeems. For example, the reason for the giving of the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments in Exodus is based on creation. It says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. That's from Exodus 20 verse 11. However, it is based on redemption in the giving of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, where it says, and remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. That's Deuteronomy 5 verse 15. Overt examples of the fulfillment are found elsewhere in Scripture, such as in the book of Revelation, where a doxology of praise to the Lord was uttered in Revelation 4 based on his effort in creation, whereas in Revelation 5, another doxology of praise to him is given based on his effort in redemption. Briefly, the seventh month was originally the first month of the year based on creation, but that was changed at the time of the Exodus when the Lord declared the first month to commence in the springtime in the month of Aviv, later known as the month of Nisan. That is recorded in Exodus 12, verse 2, and it is based on redemption. It is the redemption calendar that is used in designating the feasts of the Lord. Although citing non-biblical sources is not something that I like to do. The commentary on the first of Tishri provided by Chabadba gives invaluable insight into what we need to know. This is not scripture, but they are analyzing scripture and they're saying, this is how we read the creation account. 
So I'm going to cite it. The first day of creation, uh, which God created existence, time, matter, darkness, and light, was the 25th of Elul, Rosh Hashanah, on which we mark the beginning of your works is actually the 6th day of creation, on which the world attained potential for the realization of its purpose with the creation of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Rosh Hashanah is therefore the day from which the Jewish calendar begins to count the years of history. The first day of creation thus occurred on the 25th of Elul of what is termed one from creation. In other words, man was created on the sixth day, according to Genesis chapter 1. This would be the first day of the first month of the creation calendar, and later the first day of the seventh month of the redemptive calendar. The words of the commentary from Chabadba are actually supported by an anagram that occurs between the first word in the Bible. This anagram is concerning the creation and the first day of the month of Tishri. They are both spelled with the same letters, but when rearranged, the Hebrew letters reflect one or the other. In the beginning is the word Bereshit. It is an anagram of the first of Tishri, Aleph B Tishri. So if you see what I'm saying, that word at the beginning of the Bible is also the name of the first day of the seventh month of the year, okay? Or the first day of the first month of the creation year, which became the first day of the seventh month of the redemptive year. It's a little complicated, but just understand we're being given clues by God about the calendars in the Bible and what God is doing in Jesus Christ. As noted earlier, Tishri is also the first month of the regal calendar, the kingly calendar, as detailed in the books of Kings and Chronicles. That this is the first month of these calendars is significant, as will be seen. As for the first of this month, it is seen three other times in Scripture. In Genesis 8.13, it is the day that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, looking upon the new world. Ezra 3 mentions that this is the day Yeshua, which is a name of Jesus, Yeshua and Zerubbabel, after their return from Babylon, built the altar of God of Israel and began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. It is also the day in Nehemiah 8 when Ezra brought forward the law of Moses and read it to all of the people. Each instance anticipates Christ. Noah, looking upon the new world, looks to new life in Christ, our ark of safety. The building of the altar and sacrifices on it anticipate Christ, our altar of sacrifice, and our sacrifice. The reading of the law pictures Christ, the fulfillment of the law. As this is the first of the month, it would coincide with the new moon celebrations, which are mentioned at various times in the Bible. However, this day in Leviticus, the first of the seventh month, is certainly what is being referred to in Psalm 81, where the word Ruah is used. It says there, sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout a Ruah to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. Thus, the new moon solemn feast coincides with the day of acclamation, the darkest night of the month. The full moon solemn feast, the brightest night of the month, would be at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which immediately follows the Passover. It was on these holy convocations and others like them that joyful shouts were to be raised. It is on the first day of the seventh month that Jesus would have been born. 
Some claim Christ was born in the spring. Incorrect. This conclusion results from a poor analysis of scripture and of what scripture is saying, faulty tradition, and incorrect assumptions. It has no basis in reality. Others claim that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, stating that his coming in the flesh to the tabernacle among us is fulfilled in his birth. This is also incorrect. As noted, the Feast of Tabernacles is a pilgrim feast. It signifies believers' lives in Christ, not the birth of Jesus. It is a common mistake based on a misunderstanding of the Hebrew word chag, which points to believers' participation in what he has done. To understand the proper timing of the birth of Jesus, it needs to be fleshed out from what is provided in Scripture. First, acclamation is the only feast that falls on the first of the month, the time of the new moon. As noted, this is when the skies are the darkest, having no light from the moon to illuminate them, the significance of which will be seen later. As for the precise dating, to see the proper pattern develop, we go to 1 Chronicles chapter 24. This reveals the order of the 24 details of priests who served at the temple in Jerusalem. The division of Abiah was the eighth division. It says there in 1 Chronicles 24, And the scribe Shemaiah, the son of Nathano, one of the Levites, wrote them down before the king, the leaders, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech the son of Abiathar, and the heads of the father's houses, of the priests and Levites, one father's house taken for Eliezer, and one for Ithamar. Now, the first lot fell to Joyarib, the second to Jediah, the third to Harim, the fourth to Seorim, the fifth to Malkiah, the sixth to Mijamin, the seventh to Hakoz, here it is, the eighth to Abiah. Next, Luke 1 reveals that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was of the division of Abiah. He was serving at the temple and was giving the promise of a son. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abia. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest, before God in the order of his division. Very important, he's in the division of what? Abiyah. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Then when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Then the angel answered and said to him, 
I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be filled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Later, in Luke 1.36, it is revealed that Mary was visited by Gabriel in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. From this point, we have the details to know the timing of Jesus' birth. The month is Nisan, the division one and two. The month is Iyar, the division is three and four. The month is Shivan, the division is five and six. The month is Tammuz, the division is seven and Eight, Abia, that is the June-July time frame. We don't need to go anywhere else to know the timing of what these events tell us. Okay, scripture is detailing it for us. Zechariah would have been at the temple in the June-July time frame, Tammuz. Add six months until Gabriel spoke to Mary, the December-January time frame, the month of Adar. Add nine months until Christ the Lord was born, September-October time frame, the month of Tishri. However, an obvious assumption must be made, which is that Zechariah got his wife pregnant rather quickly. And yet that is hardly an assumption at all. First, he couldn't speak until the child was born. That's something that may have made Elizabeth quite happy, <laughs> but it isn't something that he would want corrected right away, or he would want corrected right away. Second, if they had been hoping for a child for so long, they would have wasted no time in getting started with the tough work. The assumptions are obvious. Further, Luke, under inspiration of the Spirit, continues the timeline in an uninterrupted fashion, asking us to look at the dates based on the other time frames he has provided, meaning in a united fashion. The Bible doesn't give us any other option because of the way he has structured his words. Based on the evidence, it is clear, 100% clear, that Christ Jesus was born in the September, October, time frame. This corresponds to the Hebrew month of Tishri. From that, we can reasonably determine that Jesus was born on the first of Tishri. We can do this in several ways. First, we look to 1 Corinthians 15 to see a pattern based on the tradition showing that Adam was created on the first day of Tishri, the sixth day of creation. It would follow reasonably that Jesus, the second Adam, was born on the same day 4,000 years later thereby completing a biblical pattern, creation, redemption. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 48 tells us Jesus is the last Adam. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, being a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual, creation, redemption. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. 
and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. When Adam was created, the Lord who created him, in effect, became king at that moment. That he is a king is reflected, for example, in the 47th Psalm, where it says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. However, the man turned from his king. God knew this would happen from the beginning. Both Peter and John state this unambiguously. Speaking of Christ Jesus, 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says the following. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so, in order to redeem man, God sent Christ Jesus into the world using the same pattern as is found throughout Scripture, creation and then redemption. He created Adam on the first of Tishri, and he sent the Redeemer on that same day. It was the first of the month of the creation calendar and the first of the seventh month of the redemption calendar. And, as noted, this is the only feast designated specifically as occurring on the new moon, which is the first day of the month. It is the darkest day of the month. Thus, it was the best day for the glory of the Lord to be highlighted. Luke 2, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, the darkest night of the month. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. These words of Luke are used to claim that Jesus had to have been born in the spring, saying that it was too cold for flocks to be out in December. As such, the claim is that Jesus could not have been born then, okay? First, he wasn't. The details demonstrate that he was born in the fall. But more, the claim is ignorant. The animals are never sheltered away from the weather, ever. They remain in the fields throughout the year. Thus, the entire argument for this con job is rendered false. As I said, such analyses result from a poor analysis of scripture, faulty tradition, and incorrect assumptions. As for the heralding of a king, in 1 Kings 134, it is seen that the shofar, the ram's horn trumpet, is blown at the coronation of the king. In that case, it was King Solomon. It then becomes obvious why the Lord mandated this feast on this particular day. It is the day when all of Israel would be joyously shouting with acclamation and blowing shofars throughout all of the land of Israel. On this day, the king of the universe was being born among men. Little did they know that they were heralding in the true, the great king of Israel, Jesus Christ. The patterns are too rich, too many, and too well orchestrated to be by mere chance. Again, in Numbers 23, 21, we read these words. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him. And the shout of a king, Teruat Melech, is among them. This is the same word, Teruah, used in Leviticus to signify this particular day in the redemptive calendar. This was certainly fulfilled in the praises of the heavenly host at the birth of the great king, Jesus. 
And again, Psalm 47, a psalm read on the first day of this particular month in synagogues around the world. It says, Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout, Ruah, to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. Without Israel, even now understanding the significance of what they are proclaiming, the idea of Ruah, shouting to the king, is identified with this day. Three verses later, the psalmist says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. There, the teruah, or shout of acclamation, is combined with the sound of the shofar, all pointing to this one particular day in history when Christ was born, and the king of the universe was made manifest among us. Again, it is certain that Christ was born on the same day that Adam was created, on the first day of the first month of the creation calendar which is the first day of the seventh month of the redemption calendar. But we can ask, did anything happen in the Bible on the first day of the first month of the redemption calendar? The answer is, and it came to pass in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was raised up. The tabernacle, every single detail of which points to Christ in his ministry, was erected on the first day of the first month of the redemption calendar. Thus we have, again, as has been seen many times in Scripture, the pattern of creation being followed by redemption. The Creator is our Redeemer. The King has come. Shout aloud and rejoice. He has come to redeem fallen man. Let your shouts be heard with a resounding voice. Blow the trumpets aloud as hard as you can. He has come. The King of the ages is here. We gather around him, the King of the Jews. Yes, All people come, see the sight, draw near, and then go forth and spread the glorious news. The baby born in a manger is the king of Israel. This childling helplessly shall rule all the world. It is the most marvelous news. Go forth and tell. May joy from the heart now be unfurled. Our third thought today is the significance of Christmas. We are gathered here in December to celebrate Christmas. But why are we doing so if Jesus was born in the fall? Couldn't we just stay home and not plow the driveway before driving in all this miserable snow? No, we have gathered at this time for a reason. When you ask a Korean person how old he is, he will give you an answer that doesn't fit with the Western notion of age. The reason why is they consider their age from conception, not from birth out of the womb. Understanding this will help you grasp why what they tell you at one time doesn't seem to match what you might find out at other times. Even though Christ, the second Adam, and the king of the universe was born on the first day of the seventh month of the redemption calendar, there's another point that needs to be addressed. What is the significance of our coming together to celebrate on 25 December? Traditionally, people have said this was a Catholic attempt to align the holiday with a pagan festival to accommodate older beliefs for those who were assimilated into the faith. Whether this occurred or not has nothing to do with Scripture and what it is telling us concerning Jesus. The equinoxes and solstices were created by who? By God. And they reflect what he is doing in the world of creation and redemption. If this has been misused by other religions, and it has, it doesn't change the true intent for when these things occur. The significance of 25 December is far more beautiful than some crude attempt by Roman Catholicism to harmonize pagan beliefs with those of Christianity. 
The human gestation period is approximately 270 days. It does vary, but that is right at the average. If you go back 270 days from the first of Tishri, you will, at times, come to 25 December. What this means is that Christ was conceived on this day, approximately 270 days before his birth into the world. And so, the true celebration on this day is not the birth of Jesus from the womb. Rather, what we've been celebrating is the incarnation of Jesus in the womb when God united with human flesh. Understanding that eight times in the past 117 years, both Christmas and Hanukkah, meaning the Festival of Lights, have occurred at the same time, 24-25 December. In 2024, which is next year, it will occur again on 25 December. And in 2027, it will occur on December 24th. This same day is known as the Feast of Dedication, mentioned in John 10, verse 22, and which was included in our opening verses. Elsewhere in the Gospel of John, John cites Jesus' words concerning his fulfillment of that feast. Although it was not a Leviticus 23 feast, it is noted as a feast nonetheless in the New Testament. Along with our text verse today, there are other clearly stated verses that tell us this, such as John 8 verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And again in John 12, he says, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. As incredible as it might seem, Jesus was probably conceived on the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah, also known as the Feast of Dedication. And he was certainly born on Yom Teruah. The prophetic patterns of the Bible completely and amazingly support the wonderful fulfillment of the feasts of the Lord in Jesus. Scripture has carefully recorded special circumstances that occurred in one particular line of priests, that of Abiah, for a reason. It then carefully and methodically gives other time frames necessary to pinpoint the time of year that Christ was born. It also gives numerous patterns that confirm the exact date within this time of year for us to know with all certainty that he was born on the first of Tishri and that he was conceived at what we call Christmas. The light of the world has come to dwell among us. None of this is by chance. Rather, these things are recorded because God is alerting us to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah anticipated in every type and every picture that is given in Scripture. And more, he is the fulfillment of them all. As this is so, then he is obviously asking us to follow through with what the Bible says is necessary for our lives concerning Christ. It says that he is God's gift to the world and that all who believe in him will be saved. It further says that he is the only path to salvation and that no one can come to the Father but through him. He is the one and only mediator between God and men. In other words, God only acknowledges those prayers that are directed to him through Jesus Christ. If you have never accepted Jesus, I would ask you today to consider your eternal state. Think it through. Look at what God has done in Christ and call out to him for salvation. 
All he asks is that we simply believe that he has done all of the work. Salvation is God's gift appropriated by faith in the work of Jesus. He was conceived at the time of the Feast of Dedication, also known as the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah. He was born on the first of the seventh month of the redemption calendar, which is the first month of the creation calendar at the time of the new moon, the darkest night of the month. God's glory lit up the heavens and the heavenly host proclaimed the event. Scripture is revealing to us that the true light had entered into the spiritual darkness of the world to accomplish all that God had set before him. Remarkably, he then died just before the start of the brightest night of the month, the night of the full moon. Again, a spiritual picture was given to us. Our hope is not extinguished by darkness. As it says in John 1, 5, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let us remember this and carry the true light with us. May the hope of the Christmas child remain with you always. And may the light of Christ shine upon you now and forever. May it be so. Amen. God went to all that trouble to put this in his word, to ask us to search it out. And then people make stuff up and they put out YouTube videos that get millions of views on nonsense. Stick to the word. The word is reliable. Don't get caught up in traditions. Don't get caught up in people's machinations and twistings of scripture. Stick to the word. Read it. Study it. He's giving all of this information so that we can know with 100% surety that what the Bible says is true, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer of the world. Now, I know this is a tough sermon as far as details, but they're all laid out there for you, all of them. If you just pay attention to what Scripture is telling you, you will be in good shape. I had somebody tell me during the uh, break here that she was going through kind of a rough time and she went back and she was in Deuteronomy 16 and it just lightened her day. Deuteronomy! I mean, come on! Most people don't even read it and if they do, they're asleep when they do. Listen, the Word of God is powerful if you're willing to think about it and to consider it while you're reading it. It's filled with wonder and delight. It's just a marvelous book. Please read the Bible, and in it you will find Jesus, and you will find that God really wants you to do something with your life, which is to believe in what Jesus has done. That's what the gospel is. It's not you need to do this and this and this and this. It's God has done it all, and God wants you to believe that that is true. And it says in the Bible, if you believe, you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's all that you need to do is believe. Please do so today. Our closing verse comes from Luke 2. It's verses 10 through 12. We've already read it, but I'll read it again. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The king of the universe lying in a manger surrounded by animals. That is a statement, if nothing else. That is telling you of the humility of Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. Next week is Judges 6, 1 through 10. I read it this morning. I didn't even remember what I had typed. It is unbelievable. 
Now, you might not think so, but I tell you, I really enjoyed reading that this morning. It is an unbelievable sermon. To me alone, you shall worship and applaud. It's entitled, I am the Lord, your God. That'll be our 17th Judges Sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. He sent his own son into the world to reconcile you to himself. Remember the enormity of what that means each day of your life. And then follow him and trust him. And he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, I've got... uh, a a couple questions for you today. Yes, I said a couple because uh, about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, um, Claudia came up to me and she said, I want you to give this away on the Christmas sermon. And so I will. She made this. I found this uh, sailboat in a dumpster. I go through the dumpsters. I pull out all kinds of great stuff. It had one little string on it. Instead of just fixing it or putting discount, 15 cents, they threw the thing away. So, no, it wasn't dirty. It was in a, you know, the box. Anyway, so that's what they did. And then Claudia made this with that little thing. So, this is one of them. And the other one, they happened to show up for church today. It's very rare, but they actually showed up. I'm kidding. They live all the way up in, uh, uh, why can't I ever remember the... uh, uh, Wesley Chapel. I wanted to say Newport Richie, and I know they're all the way up in Wesley Chapel, and they came down today. Uh, they have a website on Etsy uh, where you can buy things. And uh, it says the winner of Sunday Service Charlie's Bible Trivia Question gets one free item up to $25. I uh, use this code, and it says Charlie Trivia. Okay, it expires on 131 2024. So buy something right away. Um, let's see here. Uh, this, the gift certificate is uh, for Pam and TJ's online store called Novice Art Store. Currently, our offerings include apparel such as T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, and accessories like phone cases. TJ and Pam design all the artwork you see on the products, and it's noviceartstore.etsy.com, just in case anybody's online who wants to check it out. So, um, and it even looks like a Christmas box, so there you go. Um, we'll do this one first. Um, Raise your hand, please. If you don't raise your hand, I'm not even going to listen to you, okay? Because I'm sure somebody's going to get this, and if not, I'm sorry, because it's not that difficult. Um, Which king had Daniel cast into the lion's den? No, not Nebuchadnezzar. You had your hand up? Yep. Hey, Darius, okay, that's it. This will be yours. I'm going to make it spin. Uh, it almost made it. Okay. Darius. Very good. Okay, now I'll say something. A couple weeks ago, I watched the uh, the uh, movie Daniel. It was so good, I recommended it during Bible study, which means none of you watched that movie. So much for recommending stuff to you guys. Okay, number two. This one, this one will probably be a little easier, but I still want to see a hand up. If I don't see a hand, you're not getting anything. Which king saw the handwriting on the wall. Belshazzar. Belshazzar, very good. The hand went up and the answer was correct. So you go home with this. She's the one that gave us that and now she goes home with this. Um, here, uh, I'm going to throw this, catch it. Okay, we got a poem and then we're going to take communion. I am out of here. I am just miserable today and it's getting worse by the minute. Um, 
Yeah, I woke up and, you know, I, I was not feeling well. And then what happened is every single thing that could go wrong this morning has gone wrong. And so I'm like, Claudia came in and I was like, she said, calm down. My hair is standing out like this. And I'm everything that could go wrong. I, I'm late on everything. So I'm going to go home and finish my work and I'm going to go to bed. But we'll read this and then we'll take that. This is entitled The Zeal of the Lord of Hosts. Unto us a child is born... A time to rejoice and not to mourn. Unto us a son is given, the one to lead us from death to a living. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Every eye will see him. Every soul will be his beholder. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom's realm. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, he at the helm, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will perform this. And his name will be called Wonderful. The Counselor and Mighty God is he, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, pure and white as wool. Of the increase of his government and peace, no end shall we see. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people forever told the wondrous story, the birth of a boy. For there is born to you this day In the city of David, a Savior, it is He, Christ the Lord, whom heaven's hosts obey. The Messiah has come, and now you may go and see. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, a glorious view. The Christmas child whom our heavenly Father bestows. A child like no other has come to dwell among us. He shall lead us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And his name is called out. His name is Jesus. Come and of the heavenly child partake. He is God's gift and heaven's treasure. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he bestows upon us grace without measure. The Christmas child, our glorious Lord, Jesus. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful blessing of this life. When we come to know Jesus, it is the best, the sweetest life of all, even through trials, even through troubles, even through difficulties that seem insurmountable. We know that you're there, and we also know that you have something set aside for us, a hope that we cannot even imagine at this point. We know it's there, we know it's coming, but we can't even imagine what it's going to be like when we're in this fallen world of sin and the trouble that surrounds us. It's what we see and what we know. And someday it'll all be gone and we'll be in your presence again. Thank you for that promise. And thank you for how you've intricately woven your word together to show us how reliable your word is so that we know that the promise is true, just as your Bible is true. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for Jesus who came to dwell among us, to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins, and then to come out of that grave to prove that he is the Lord God and our sins are forgiven. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Jim said that was going to be a good message. You have not heard anything close to that, have you? That was tremendous. I think we need to give him a hand. Thank you, Burke.